Hello everyone, and welcome back to Tversky Tuesdays. I am your host, Hananya Abraham. We left off understanding that there is a big difference between religion and spirituality. And I'm going to read the last paragraph again because I felt it was so important for us going further. But even if it's the only thing that you pick up on today's recording, I think it's important to be said. Often it seems that the meaning of the terms religion and spirituality are confused as being the same. I do not believe that they are the same. I believe that every person can be spiritual, regardless of the degree or even the presence of former religion. And I believe that we can learn a great deal about spirituality from each other. And I think one of the things, if you notice, you don't see the word God in this paragraph, is because being spiritual in many ways does not have to do with God. So even if you are in a place where your relationship with God is either non-existent, maybe you have some questions or negative feelings, maybe some positive feelings, but you just don't have any connection to, being spiritual is not connected to your relationship with God. Being spiritual is about you and having this concepts of this ability of the things that we talked about last time, which is about being self-aware and humble, and the concepts of being of the ability to choose and be patient. For more of, on those topics, this is something maybe we'll talk about in a later podcast, but go back to, to yesterday's podcast and you can see more on that. Today we're going to go through some stories, specifically that Dr. Tversky brings, of being spiritual. And each story, while we may not be able to relate directly to each story, but I think there are bits and pieces that, you, that we can learn so much from these stories that he's about to bring. One of my patients told me a great lesson in what it means to be a spiritual person. On the day she was scheduled for a consultation, I happened to be in a bad mood. I had just brought a new automobile, fully loaded, but the cruise control was not accurate, fluctuating five miles per hour from where I set it. I was going to have to take it back to the dealer for an adjustment, which would cost me half a day. Nora arrived at her appointment ecstatic and bubbling with happiness. She was eight months sober and was beginning to reap some of the rewards of her sobriety. Just one thing to point out over here, we see that sometimes a person could be in a situation that can make them be dark and unhealthy for a long period of time. And here we see this person that worked on something for eight months. And while there are some immediate benefits, research shows of stopping to drink if, it's a, if you have an unhealthy relationship with alcohol, we see this person is, took eight months to start seeing a certain happiness in her life. And maybe we'll get to that more. Her son was, doing, was going to school all day, so she had found a full-time job, albeit even though it was minimum wage. She had also found a suitable, inexpensive apartment for herself and her child. She thought she might even be able to save enough money to get her car fixed. What's wrong with your car, I said. There's no reverse. The reverse gear is broken. How can you drive without a reverse gear, I asked. Oh, you have to plan things out, like how to park so you can get out without backing up. But I must remember that some people don't even have a car. If I could have dug a hole in the ground, I would have jumped in. I was in an irritable mood because the cruise control on my new fully loaded car was five miles per uh, off on the cruise control, while Nora was happy with a car that did not have a reverse gear. Nora taught me an important lesson in spirituality that day. Happiness is not having the most, but needing the least. What a powerful statement. 
As it says in Ethics of Our Fathers, who is the man that is considered rich? Is the person that is happy with what he has. When you realize that, you know what, what I have in front of me is so great and so awesome. Because when you compare it to others that have less than you, it makes you think twice. And I'm sitting here in a recording where after most of us being home for extended periods of time here during the pandemic, I think that's a lesson that a lot of us have been able to pick up on. Of I have so much here and what I have around me that there's so much to be thankful for. And I think this is something that we're going to be talking about more in this book. Just to finish off the rest of this story, Nora demonstrated spiritual happiness is yet another way, and in yet another way. She had been treated with chemotherapy for cancer and had lost all of her hair. She now regularly visits her oncologist's office to share her experience and lift up the spirits of cancer patients. She shows them a picture of her bald head when she was on chemo and says, Look, my hair is thicker than ever. Chemotherapy was the greatest thing to happen to my hair. Just recently, I received a Thanksgiving Day greeting from Nora. I'm 10 years sober and 7 years cancer-free. Life is good. And my car has reverse gear. Nora is a spiritual person. And again, like we mentioned before, I don't think that a lot of us can relate to this specific scenario, what Nora went through, or even what Dr. Torsky went through, being on the other side of it. But I think there are similar scenarios that we all go through that we either want to put a foot in our mouths of realizing how much good we actually have, or being on the other side of realizing, hey, you know what? So I have this situation, but you know it's better than people that don't have it. Another great story over here, I think, uh, brings out a lot in what this concept of spirituality is. There is a great moving story about a young, mentally challenged boy who was being mainstreamed in public school. One day, young Alvin was walking with his father, and they passed a field where some children were playing baseball. Alvin recognized some of them and said, Do you think they will let me play with them? Alvin's father's heart sank. He knew that Alvin could not hit or catch a ball, but of course, the kids would refuse to let him play. Ask them, Daddy. Ask them. Anticipating a negative answer, Alvin's father nevertheless asked one of the boys, Could you let Alvin try to bat once? The boys looked at each other. One of them said, Sure. We're tied four to four, and we need a good hitter. They gave Alvin the bat and showed him how to hold it and swing. The pitcher stood six feet from the plate and softly lobbed the ball. Alvin waved at the bat, missing by a mile. Good try, the boys said. One of the boys held Alvin's hands on the bat. When the next pitch came, Alvin tapped it in front of the plate. You gotta hit Alvin. Run to first. The pitcher retrieved the ball and threw it high over the first baseman's head into right field. Run to second, Alvin, the kid screamed. Right fielder realized what was going on, and he threw the ball far past the third baseman. Run to third, Alvin. Then run home, Alvin. Run home. The catcher caught the ball and waved at Alvin as he crossed the plate, avoiding the tag. All the kids started yelling, Alvin got a homer. Alvin got a homer. We won. They then picked Alvin up and carried him on their shoulders in a victory march. These kids were spiritual. They did not win the ball game. They won so much more. I can think of a few examples or maybe video clips of similar stories. And when you live with a purpose that's not just for you, I think that's one of the keys of what he's talking about here that makes it spiritual. I think one of the things that make it overlooked in this story is that first person that wasn't involved in the conversations. Think about outfielders in general. They're usually on the outskirts of any quote-unquote action that might happen in a story. 
or what's happening more by home plate or by the pitcher's mound. So they probably didn't even hear what Alvin's father was requesting. But once they picked up what was happening and they were aware of the situation, they were so gung-ho to be involved in that. I think that's really cool to show the spiritual part of what's happening here. You need awareness. You need to know what's happening around you, and that's very important. One more story over here. Yossi was born with a heart defect. Doctors told his parents that he would need a heart operation when he turned seven, and they would have the procedure done in the United States. Yossi's parents, both Israelis, knew that knew no one in America, but a mutual friend put them in touch with me, Dr. Torsky writes. The heart surgeon at Pittsburgh's Children's Hospital said that he would do the procedure. Neither Yossi nor his parents knew a word of English, so I put the word out in Pittsburgh for Hebrew-speaking people. Twenty-nine people volunteered and gathered for an emergency meeting. A schedule was arranged whereby the family would never be left without an interpreter. No volunteer would leave until his or her replacement came. Not only was there effective communication, but the family also received loving support during the trying two weeks of the hospitalization. Because the family had no insurance, the hospital reduced the charges to the bare minimum. The surgeon did not charge a fee. The community raised the money for the hospital bill. These were all spiritual people. Years later, I visited Yossi in Israel. He was playing a vigorous game of basketball. I think, again, same thing we're seeing in this story. And then a few more coming up over here. What we're dealing with are people that are not living for themselves. When you start living for others, what I think it's so cool about this story, here is this psychiatrist in a hospital putting the word out for anyone that speaks Hebrew. 29 people without knowing anything just show up. Yeah, I'm, I'll help. I'll stay around the clock. Is that unbelievable when you can have people get together and just do things for someone else? That's what spirituality is. Another story over here, which I think is a great one. At the age of 46, Dottie came to the Great Gateway Rehab System in Pennsylvania for treatment. How she had survived until the age was a mystery because she had been abusing substances at the age of 14, and the years that followed, she had countless brushes with death from accidental overdoses. Once she achieved sobriety, however, she threw herself wholeheartedly into trying to help others recover, and many people owe their lives to Dottie. Still, she never entirely shook off the wounds and the fears from her drugging days. Once, we attended a funeral for a mutual friend, and we were out. And we were two out of the ten mourners in attendance. When we left the cemetery, Dottie said to me, When I die, I want there to, there to be a session two miles long, because I want to have made the friends I could not make when I was drugging. At the age of 62, Dottie was diagnosed with cancer. Her hospital room was always busy with the noise of friends visiting and trying their best to be there for her. Many of those friends were friends she had helped recover. Some she had pulled back from the brink of death. To say that they were all connected is a compliment to Dottie on a life lived with great purpose. When Dottie died, she indeed had a long funeral procession, and it was not, if not, excuse me, and if it was not a full two miles long, it was not much less. During her early life, Dottie had been very much alone, disconnected, and into self-gratification. Her mind had been in a state of suspended animation from the high of the drugs, and she could not relate to other people. Once she recovered, however, Dottie loved and was loved. 
she was not alone in life or abandoned in death. By helping others, by looking outside herself, she was able to connect to people. Dari was a spiritual person. As I'm sure you guys have figured out by now. The thing that makes someone spiritual, which can then bring about happiness, like we're seeing from Dari, is living for a purpose, living for more than just oneself. When we're so in the mud of our own emotional and spiritual lives, that's that's just about being ourselves. Well, maybe spiritual is not the right word, but when we're so drowning in our own pool of self, we can't be spiritual. I might even say it's not even possible. But the key for a person to be spiritual is by giving and doing with and for others. A rabbi was once, this is the next story over here that we're going to read, and maybe we'll read one more for today after this. A rabbi was once sitting with several of his students. He said to one student, Can you please bring me a cup of coffee with two spoons of sugar? The student brought the coffee and the rabbi sipped it slowly, continuing his discourse for the students with the students. A bit later, the rabbi went into the kitchen himself for coffee and was just about to put the sugar in the coffee. His wife said, don't do that. That's salt, not sugar. It turned out that the student had mistaken the salt for sugar and had put two spoons of salt into the rabbi's coffee. How could you drink the coffee with all the salt in it? The rabbi's wife asked. Well, what else could I have done? The rabbi asked. If I had refused to drink it, it would have embarrassed the student who made the mistake. This rabbi was a spiritual person. I am privileged to have known him. Again, living for someone else. And if you think about what's happening in that specific moment, someone makes you a drink or something, and here you are, I'm about to have this awesome drink, or maybe alcoholic beverage, and they mix up salt and sugar. Anyone that has any sort of taste buds understands that there's a very big difference between the two. But yet here is someone that even in that situation didn't want to stop drinking because how it might affect someone else. Now for a bit of nostalgia. When I was 11, Reuben, an elderly worshiper in my father's synagogue, invited me to his home for potato pancakes. This became a weekly event. Every Tuesday evening was potato pancake night. I would watch Reuben grate the potatoes there were no food processors back then, and fry them to crisp brown. I often looked at a picture of Reuben's, Reuben, his wife, and their seven children. Except for two sons, all had died prematurely. Reuben was blind in his left eye and wore a thick lens over his right eye. I became blind from crying, Reuben would explain. If any human being had the right to not only be disconnected, bis- discontented with life, but also bitter and angry, it was Reuben. But as a sensitive seven-year-old, I did not detect any bitterness. Before services on Saturday morning, I would sit with Reuben as he tried to read the entire book of Psalms. It looks like he actually did it. He sheared with the psalmist both his expression of anguish and his hope for joy. If Reuben had been bitter, the potato pancakes could not have been as delicious. Reuben was a spiritual person. I don't know about you, but I gotta say I love these stories. I know sometimes they may sound a little bit repetitive, but I'm going to continue going through them. There's another, looks like another three stories over here. And I think they're 
important to go through, just so we can have a little bit of a better understanding of what this spiritual understanding is, according to the way Dr. Tversky is talking about it. After serving as a rabbi for several years, I decided to go to med school. I had two children, and supporting the family while going to med school was going to be a challenge. My congregation was not particularly wealthy, but the membership helped me with tuition. Nevertheless, in my third year, I was I was in arrears of two trimesters tuition and had the administration and asked the administration to be patient with me. One Sunday, I called home at lunch uh, at lunchtime and my wife said, "What would you do if you had $4,000?" I said, "We take a trip around the world, but I don't have the time for fantasy now." Well, You've got $4,000 from, from Danny Thomas, she said. Who's Danny Thomas? You know, the television comedian, she said. I did not know. The medical school curriculum did not provide me time for watching TV. Listen to this poem in today's paper. At a meeting with officials of Marquette University, Danny Thomas was told about a young rabbi who was struggling to get through medical school. How much does your rabbi need to finish, Danny Thomas asked. About $4,000, the official said. Tell your rabbi he's got it, Danny Thomas said. After several days later, I received a letter from Danny Thomas with a profound apology for the item appearing in the paper. There was a reporter at our meeting, and it didn't occur to me that he, was, that he would publish this. I'm sorry if I cause you any embarrassment. A year later, I met Danny Thomas on, in the TV studio. I told him that there was no reason for an apology. The papers always happen. Why shouldn't they print the good things too? Danny shook his head. We in the entertainment industry make our living by publicity, and there are many things we do for publicity. This is something I wanted to do because it felt right, and I did not want it to be a publicity stunt, which is so interesting and so cool to hear. I mean, think about nowadays with all of the social media that we have, how far people go with making sure they're only doing things for others so that other people can see and they can get personal recognition from it. Danny Thomas dedicated his life to the development of St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis for research and treating of children's diseases. Danny Thomas was a spiritual person. I think that's a great story. And then there was Donna. After several years of marriage, Donna became concerned when she had not conceived. She made the rounds to all the specialists. Her family physician, after receiving all the reports, said to her, Donna, you need to accept this. You will never be able to carry a child. Donna was crushed. However, she and her husband adopted a baby boy and soon thereafter a baby girl. When Donna turned 40, she decided it was time to give up smoking. She went through seven weeks, several weeks of much discomfort, but eventually felt better. Several months later, she began having unpleasant feelings. And when she consulted her physician, she found out she was pregnant. Donna was overjoyed by this miracle. She knew she would have a son who was going to be a Rhodes Scholar like his daddy. But my world turned dark when they put the baby in my arm for the first time. He was a Down Syndrome child. I was bitter and angry. God, why did you do this to me? I had already resigned myself to not having a child. Why did you raise my hopes only to deliver this crushing blow to me? Every night, Ed, and I prayed over the crib. Dear God, you can do anything. Change him. Then one day God answered our prayers by changing us. Now, if that child did not come into the world for any other reason, but what I will tell you now, it was all worth it. 
Because when I sit in the rocker holding Andy, and I see the way his eyes are funny shaped, and some other ways he's different, I know how much I love that child with all his shortcomings. That's when I can understand that God can love me, even with all my shortcomings. Donna is a spiritual person. Probably one of the best lessons we can learn in life. Realizing that the way we go about stuff, our Creator deals with us the way we're going to be dealing with others. And the more we can be accepting and understanding and validating of others, the more He can do that with us. Now for the other side. And this is the last story for today. Brian consulted with me because he was contemplating suicide. My father is crazy, Brian said. He is 84 and has built up a billion-dollar empire. If he lived for a thousand years, he could not consume a fraction of his wealth. Yet, he goes to the office every day to make more money. What for? My share of the business is already far beyond what I will ever need. I have two condos, one on the West Coast and the other on, in the Riviera. I have a stable full of horses. I do not want to make more money. What's the point? When I get into a plane, it's not going to go anywhere, but to get away from where I am. I see no point in continuing with life. Brian was disconnected to the point of contemplating suicide. But with all your extra money, think about how much good you can do. Think about how many hungry people you can feed, how much valuable medical research you could sponsor. You can even have good reason to generate more money for worthy causes. Brian looked at me with a bewildered expression. Give away my money? Why would I want to do that? Brian was not a spiritual person, and he was bitterly disconnected. So, I think the thing we could take away from today's lesson is the point or the way for a person to be spiritual is by having a connect to others and be putting ourselves in a place that we're wanting and leading our life in a way that's helping and living for others. Have yourself a good day, and we will continue with, with this in our next recording.